You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Good morning. Uh, great to be together today. Uh, let me get this set up. I'm wearing my skinny jeans today. I've been working out. Feels great. A little bit hard breathing, but that's okay. I'll get through today, hopefully. Uh, this past uh, Sunday, last Sunday, almost to the day, to the hour, a few hours from now, last week, uh, we as a nation went through the worst mass shooting uh, in our country. And uh, it was pretty horrific. Lena and I lived there in Las Vegas for a couple of years, and we knew a lot of great friends there. And we had even some sisters that went there to see another show, and that was pretty. It was in actually the same hotel as the shooter. Uh, come back, and that was pretty traumatic uh, for them. But I think it's for the whole country, it's been a pretty traumatic time as well. And I want to just take a time, a minute, just to pray for people who are still in the hospital. There were about 500 people that were injured besides the 58 people who died. So we want to take just a few minutes just to, to pray for them for their recovery, because some are still really fighting for their lives, and for so many, their lives will never be the same again. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, integrate that uh, into our sermon today as well. So let's uh, take a a minute to pray for them. Father, we are so grateful, God, to be here. Uh, Really, we live in a moment and a time that uh, really is scary in so many ways. I think even in our group here, as we meet together, just talking with, with Dave Jackson, that maybe we need to come up with a plan for the West Side as we meet in this public venue God, there's no place safe, uh, God, and we pray that, uh, God, you help us to really be at peace uh, with you, <laughs> God, to really think about that, to think about just being, making sure that we're at peace with you. Father, but we want to take this moment to pray for those who are in the hospital, pray for those who are still fighting for their lives. I pray that you really help them, God, help them to make it, help them to really think about uh, you, right, but uh, help their families to really think about you during this time. And I know this is trite, but uh, Father, bring about a comfort that only you can, uh, because people, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We're limited. But uh, Father, help us to really be turned back to you. Please be with the city of Las Vegas. Help them to heal. And uh, Father, I pray for all the victims at this time. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's continue to pray for them. And let's really think about uh, our service as well. Dave and I will be getting together. We're going to be talking with Mark uh, Dave is, uh, you know, has um, LAPD background, so we're probably in the next few weeks we're going to probably run some drills called I Am This Room. All right, so let's get ready for that. We're finishing up a series called I Am. It's the seven I Am uh, scriptures from the book of John uh, where Jesus talked about who he is and not only who he is, but what he is as well. Okay, that's really important because I think it's as we sit here today on a Sunday morning, in the midst of all the great ball games going on, you know, we have a lot of things, beautiful weather to do. Why are we here? We're not here just to listen to great philosophy or, or great, you know, self-help. But we're listening here, we're sitting here to listen to the words of Jesus, the Son of God himself. Amen? So there's value not listening to just who we're listening to, Jesus, but what? I mean, the people are trying to figure out what this guy was. And today we're going to talk about Jesus as the Son of God. Amen? So the title of our lesson today is Jesus is 
the vine. I want to tie this into what happened this past week because um, they, they're doing a lot of forensics right now in Las Vegas, obviously, right? They're finding out that the dude had like 43 guns and like had explosive ready to blow up, you know, the venue, the city and stuff like that. But the one thing that they can't figure out is his motives. They don't know what, they don't know why he did that. And here's a guy who's pretty wealthy and had a lot of the shooting people for him. And uh, he, he goes out and he kills these people just randomly, like shooting people in a fish pond. Okay, how can you do something like that? Okay. But the Bible gives us a glimpse into the human heart. And it explains a little bit about why he did that. It says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Because we do know this, that the Bible says that our heart grows cold because of the stuff that we see around us and maybe our past and our upbringing. And that's what they're looking into right now. Is they're looking into his past. Like, what triggered this guy? Like, what happened to him that he grew so cold that he went out and shoot all these people? So we get insight from the scripture saying that, look, where is our heart at today in terms of are we growing colder? Are we growing closer to God? It's growing somewhere. It's, it's going. It's doing something. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And really, Jesus, as divine, it teaches us that we need to connect into God. We need to connect with you know, trying to find in order to grow. Amen? So thinking a lot this week, you know, trying to find motives. They find notes and stuff like that. They're doing forensics on this computer. But that's what the Bible tells us, is that we're not careful. Our hearts will grow cold as well. That's what we need to get plugged in to not, not a source that's human, but a source that is God. So today with the lesson today, I have, there's two dual purposes. I mean, the goal of it is to help us to connect with God really in a deeper way that we've never before. And number two is to help us to connect with one another as well. Because another thing that is coming out from the shooter is that they found out that he was incredibly lonely. He was alone. He was, he was a lone wolf kind of guy. In, in, uh, and uh, they said that he bought a house in uh, Mesquite or somewhere around there, that area in, 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 uh, in Nevada. And the first thing he did was he, he erected this wall so that people couldn't see into his house and he couldn't see out. And they said that he had the most beautiful home in all of that county overlooking the, the city, but he, he didn't want any, any part of that. And he tried to shut himself off. And then the HOA got involved and said, no, nah, he can't do that. Okay, but he was incredibly lonely. So number two is to how do we connect with one another in a deeper way. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that there is judgment at the end. God says, listen, my word is going to go out to all people from around the world and then make sure there is the end. Until then, God is working to make sure that the word gets out. I get this a lot. As a minister, I, I go out on campus or I go on the city and say, well, what about the people that are in the, you know, in the jungles and stuff like that? How, how's God going to do that? Well, I got some good news for you to the people who are in the jungles in the deepest part of the Amazon. They got cell phones now. You can call them. All right. So I'm trying to take away all of our excuses here today. 
Okay, there are in the world today, there are more Christian Bible believing people than anybody in the world. So it's like one third of the world believe in someone Jesus' job. One people tell two other people we'll get the job done. Okay, so it's not an issue of God doing his job. It's us as well. Being more connected to God and being more connected with one another. In that day, speaking of that scripture that we just read, Isaiah wrote about this. And he says, in that day. He says, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I continue, I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. So God himself says, listen, I'm going to take care of this. And that last day, I myself, I'm going to take care of these people. And I'm not, God says, look at the words, this next passage here. He says, I'm not angry. He's not, I'm not defensive. God says. He says, if only there were uh, briars and thorns confronting me, I would march out against them in battle. I would set them all on fire or else let them come to me for refuge and let them make peace with me and let them make peace with me. God is serious about this vineyard that he's talking about. He's not just like, la-di-da, you know, whatever. He says, I'm not angry. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not defensive. But I tell you what, in my vineyard, if someone goes after it, or it, or if someone tries to destroy it, I'm going to really be very upset about that. But his desire is for us to have peace. So we see this duality at work. One is that God is super serious about the quality of his vineyard. And the second thing is that he wants all people to participate in it as well. But he sets conditions on his, his vineyard. 2017, what are we talking about today? We're talking about his church. We're talking about the, the vineyard of, of today, which is his church. And God says, I watch, it, I watch over it and guard over it every single day. You know, we find of these expert gardeners and just how careful they are taking care of the vine and, and making sure it's trimmed and making sure that they watch over it every day. And here we come to the main passage, which we'll be talking about today. And Jesus talks about this as well. What did he say? He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch of me that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you in the vine. Neither branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. These are very steadfast words that Jesus had. He said, it is impossible to bear good eternal fruit without me. You can try, you can do whatever you want by yourself. You can work as hard as you but if you cannot remain in me, if you do not remain in me, it is impossible to bear fruit. And I set this scripture up because I think sometimes we see God as this, you know, soft, you know, I, I, I grew up watching God as George Burns. You remember, oh God, he was George Burns. I want to foot four, walking around, you know, with glasses, by spectacle and all that stuff. I want to paint a different picture of God. Yes, the gentle side of God. Come and let's make peace. 
I don't want to paint also a God who is aggressive, who cares about his family and fights for his family. And the Bible says this, that God is an expert gardener, that he prunes the tree of the dead weight that's on the tree. Why? Because if you are an expert gardener, which I am not, I've read about this, you know, this past week and other times, that if you, if you allow a garden to just kind of grow, what happens is that the dead juice takes up more nutrients than the, than the branches that do produce the fruits. Secondly, what the dead branches do is that they spread out diseases as well, where it affects and it hurts the other branches. So God is overall looking to protect his tree. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch. But here's the good news. But the branches that are growing, the branches that are wanting to grow, the, the branches that are healthy, he prunes to make it even more fruitful. So he's speaking about individually, all of us, and he's speaking about his church as well, that his expectation of our church and his expectation of our lives is that we grow. He wants us to grow. And that's a good thing. Amen? Jesus says what? He is the true vine. That means that we need to put our focus on him. And I said before, you know, we want to go deeper than we've ever done before. What does that mean in our walk with God every day? What does that mean to go deeper with God? I have two points today. Number one, it's remain in him. And number two, remain in each other. Now, I thought about these two points. And I thought about the word persistent. It sounds very strong. Right? It doesn't sound very powerful, doesn't it? I thought about, you know, persist in him or persist in one another. But the more I looked at it, the more I looked at the scripture, that is such a great word. And I'll tell you why. There was a story that Jesus told about a woman that was really had no, no authority, no power whatsoever. And she went against the judge of the day, the, the main dude. And Jesus tells a story about how she persisted. And remain at his court and never and didn't give up. And at the end, look what it says towards the bottom there. He says, I tell you, and come. He will see that they get justice. And quickly, however will the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. He's talking about this woman that didn't give up. And he remained at the, the judge's court day in and day out. And at the end, Jesus lifted her faith up with a challenge to each one of us, will we remain faithful to God to the end? Are we going to be present there at the end that we had talked about earlier on? So remain is a strong word. It's a great word as we're going to look at here again. We're going to talk about another guy, He-Man. Not this He-Man, but a He-Man that's actually in the Bible. Okay? This is He-Man, it's Halloween, so I picked this one here. There's a guy by the name of He-Man in the Bible, and this guy was awesome. And we're going to read about him because he was one of the main uh, person that served in David's court. He said, there are the men that David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark. Came after to, uh, let me read this right here. There's, there's a little glare there, that's why I couldn't read it. it said, okay, so came to rest there. 
they ministered with music before the tabernacle and attended the meeting until Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Here are the men who served together their sons from the Kohatites, He-Man, the musician. I told you there was a He-Man in the Bible. The son of Joel, the son of Samuel. We're going to read a writing, a piece of writing from He-Man. And it's going to blow your mind on what this guy did in order to remain in the vine. It is not what we think it is. When we read this passage here, we think, well, He-Man is He-Man. I mean, he's like working with David. He's an awesome dude. He's in like the cabinet of the king himself. And yet the Bible says that this is significant. He-Man, the musician, was the son of Joel, the son of Samuel. Now, we know from Scripture that Samuel is an awesome dude, right? He's the prophet and all that stuff. Before Israel ever had a king, Samuel was the main guy. But after Samuel, the kingdom changed. And the reason is, is because of Joel, the father of He-Man. The Bible says that Joel was a derelict. Even though he was the son of Samuel and he was awesome, he was a derelict. And because of him, all of Israel changed the way that they governed themselves because of the corruption that was found in Joel. And Joel was the father of He-Man. And He-Man had all the excuses in the world to be a derelict himself, right? His father was a derelict. But instead of following his father, He-Man chose to follow the godly example of Samuel the prophet. And I point this out to you because it's pretty intense we're going to read here because He-Man, although he had such a prominent position in God's kingdom, he had some issues that he was dealing with in his life. And I want to show you that when Jesus says remain in the vine, it's not for like some super spiritual superman, you know, super spiritual. It's for people that really have to wrestle in their faith. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalms chapter 88. We're going to read this together. Psalms chapter 88. Put on my reading glasses. This is one of the most depressing passages in all of the Bible. Okay? A lot of times in scriptures, you'll start off with a passage that's praising God, and then he says something about some struggles that he has or she has, and then it ends out really good. This scripture, it didn't end out good. It started out okay. But let me read this to you. In Psalms chapter 88. Verse 1. He says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draw near to death. I am counted among those who go down into the pit. I am one like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who die in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. With all your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from, my, from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive 
to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do your spirit, spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Before, But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and have been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me and your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me, from me friend and neighbor. And it ends out, darkness is my closest friend. That's pretty intense. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any of those things. But when I read this, I think about depression. It has all the different elements of depression. He talks a lot about death. He talks a lot about the grave. He talks about the waves that comes at him. He talks about his struggle since he was a youth. And he talks about all these things and he ends out and he talks about darkness a couple times. And he says, darkness is my closest friend. You know, we live in a world today that really resembles this for many people. A church that, you know, helps people. What we offer is really Jesus, the true vine. Because when I read the scripture here and I see all of his struggles, and yet what strikes me about this is that number one, God allows him to express his struggles to him. And number two, that he struggles in his writing, in his heart, in his mind. The Bible says almost every day. I want to encourage you today to be encouraged by this passage. That God is not looking for perfect people to be with him. He's looking for people that struggles. Be depressing with him. Hopefully we're not at this point, right? I mean, this is pretty depressing stuff. But anywhere on the spectrum, maybe this is at the bottom of it. I hope that we draw closer to God and learn from He-Man. And draw closer to God. Amen? I love this passage. And look what it says about He-Man. It says that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and the breadth of understanding as he me- as measureless as the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than that of the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdoms of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, you know, he the Ezraites. Wiser than He-Man. You know, He-Man had a terrible childhood. He-Man had some issues in his, mind, in his heart and his mind. And yet the Bible says that he was one of the wisest men in all of Solomon's courts. You see, I grew up Buddhist. And in Buddhism, I told you, right, Jesus is the true vine. I grew up Buddhist. In Buddhism, the whole premise, a large part of the premise of the religion itself is to try to get us to stray away and avoid suffering. 
And yet the Bible says that suffering is one of the ways that we can get closer to God. Whether it's in our mind or in our lives. Isn't that cool? That he is cool. Was one of the wisest people uh, on earth. Isn't that cool? To me it's cool. As the fathers loved me, Jesus said, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about happiness. Have you noticed that? It talks a lot about joy. It talks a lot about a deep joy that is for happiness. You can't put it out. So don't look for happiness. Look for joy that comes from Jesus, the true vine. I want to close out this by saying this past week I had minor surgery. And I don't want to be TMI or anything like that. But it's the kind of surgery that they give you when you reach 50. It was a gift from UCLA. And I was sitting there, I was lying there, and I got, you know, I was barely wearing anything. And then I had tubes coming out of me, and the doctor says, you're a little tense. I was like, of course I'm a little tense. I'm sitting here, you're going to put me out, who knows what you're going to do to me. Of course I'm a little tense, you know. But it was, it was, it was also Monday morning, too, and I woke up, and I prepped myself, and, you know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a good day, you know, with the shooting and stuff like that. I got to be honest with you. When they administered the, the anesthesia, it felt really good. <laughs> there was a part of me that goes, this is really good to be knocked out for about an hour and to check out. And when they woke me up, I was I had a little bit of an attitude. A little bit. A little bit of an attitude. I said, whoa, what am I thinking? But I think we all go through that, you know. And we wait for the day when God rescues us. But on out. And let's really find joy in what God gives us. Amen? Point number two as we close on out. Remain in each other. Remain in each other. You know, the largest trees in the world is also the, uh, the world's fastest growing tree. These guys are coming up to pull me down. To fully comprehend, I mean, they, they, these, these sequoias, they grow. I want to share with you just some amazing things about the sequoias. These giant sequoias can survive in less than three feet of soil. These sequoias can go up as high as about 300 feet into the air. But they can survive with only three feet, one meter of soil. Isn't that amazing? How do they do it? That's how they do it. It's California. Welcome to California. We're a bunch of tree huggers. <laughs> sequoias, they help each other. Okay? Giant sequoias do, uh, do not uh, compete with each other for resources. Rather, their huge root system uh, fuse together and they store resources. Giant sequoias triumph over the natural challenges that often will kill other trees. Okay? So in this, this not, 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 they're not limited, but they can uh, utilize only three feet of soil. And what they're saying here is that, how do they do it? They do it by, they, by, by helping each other. 
and by having their roots entangled one another underneath the soil. And Jesus uses the analogy of the vine, but I want to I want to use this because I think it's such a great example of who we are as a as a community of God. And I want to challenge our faith to take our relationship with each other deeper than ever before. That's how we're going to make it. That's how we're going to survive hands in this and make it to the end. You see the picture of how they they hold hands literally under the ground. These are the giant sequoia. It blows my mind. Jesus says this in, in, in John chapter 15, our, our main scripture. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lays down uh, one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servant because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I've made known to you. How do we learn how to be good friends? He's what we learn from Jesus' example himself. Jesus as the son of God. And what did he say to us? He says, you're my friends. You're not a servant. You're not someone who's bossing around. He said, I'm telling you my very heart as my friend. And I want to ask us today, do we really feel that way? about who God is. And so I am, so when we sing the song, I am a friend of God, we need to really feel that. We need to really understand that that is a true statement because Jesus made that so to us. Because I'll be honest, I look around the room today, that's my brothers and sisters, okay? It's next to struggle in our faith. Sometimes we're sitting here, we're trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's the church doing next? And yet the Bible teaches us that, forget about what the church is doing next. How are you doing in your relationship with me? It's not just about, you know, what's the program coming up? And we struggle with that, right? We have come up with this. We come up with that to make things, you know, interesting. It's a family. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, you're my friend. That's the most important thing. You're my friend. What greater honor is that in this world to bring the joy he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appoint you so that you might up and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that's whatever you ask me, uh, my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I don't want to end out the sermon in that way in such a ethereal, love each other, nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. Because the Bible really is pretty specific about what that means. In the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, the church there was fighting for its life. And a lot of the Christians were with persecution. And they were struggling with their own faith. And the writer of Hebrew wrote a very incredible letter to them And he gave them these instructions on the see to it scriptures. And I told you that earlier on, the tone of God is not this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that God himself is very careful about how he manicures and he takes care of his church, just like the writer of Hebrew. Here are the four things I want us to think about as we look at our church, as we build our church, just like God. 
He says, number one, he says, I'm going to walk down because I can't. He says this. In Hebrews 3. Number one, he says, see to it, brothers and sisters. That none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another, as long as it is called today, so that none of us may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Number one. The Hebrew writer says, see to it, make sure that we do what? That our hearts are good. Heart. I remember Todd talking about this about six months ago. Where's your heart? Guard the heart. Make sure you protect your hearts. And it's imperative amongst each other to do what? To see to it. To make sure that we have that kind of heart. We're responsible for one another. I want to challenge us to really have a deeper relationship with one another. And I want to be honest with you. Even though I think I'm a pretty straight shooter and all that stuff, I struggle with speaking the truth in love. Why? Because it's an investment. Because I know that if I open that can of worm, it's going to take twine ourselves work to follow up. It takes a lot of work to entwine ourselves uh, at that level. But I want to challenge us. If we want to grow, if we want to grow, right? That's what it's going to take. It's uncomfortable. See to it. And it's not talking about just what? That we're beating each other up. It's talking about encouraging one another daily as well. Taking the time to talk to each other. Taking the time to encourage one another. You know, over the last uh, month here, the guy who invented the iPhone. Besides Steve Jobs, he's like the number two guy. And they were blown away by what he said because they interviewed him. He says, he says, I love the iPhone. I invented the iPhone. But you know what? The iPhone can really mess up your life. That's what he says. And he said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, you can misuse it. And he goes, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I guess it's overused. It could be overused. He says that we're so enamored by it that we can see each other walk by without really even lifting up our heads. Let's get involved. Let's see to it. Amen? That's how we get mature as a people of God. Number two. Hebrews chapter 8 says, We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majestic and, uh, of, of the majesty in heaven and who served the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The Hebrew writer is talking about what? He's talking about worship. He's talking about really making sure that we have good worship, that we worship according to God's plan. So when we come together on Sunday morning at 1030, right? Well, actually, I hope that we can come a little bit earlier than that. I appreciate Chaz. Chaz has been here since 7 o'clock, and so like it just like some of the other brothers and sisters as well. They come here to set this up. It wasn't like it just like popped up overnight. Like Sunday morning, it knew what to do. It just kind of set. It took a lot of work to set things up. The singers take a lot of time 
to get up here and to prepare as well. So when they are ready to sing at 7, uh, 10.30, I really hope that we're here ready to give back to them as well. Amen? We were missing uh, a piece of equipment. I had to go home and get it. So I, got, I went back home, and I got here at around 10.50, and I saw some people meandering, meandering in uh, into the service. Come on. If you're late, run in, specs. Come on. Let's go for it. Let's really show God some respect. If we can show Aretha Franklin some respect, if Aretha Franklin demands some respect, God demands some respect. Amen? And I demand some respect for God. So let's, let's see to it that we help each other. That's the heart. We don't meander when we go see God. We run. Right? We rush. And I think part of it is this understanding who we are as well. If you're a nobody, then I guess you can just... Whatever, right? You're not a nobody. We're trying to establish that. You are important. You make a difference. See to it in this room. Amen? Number three. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. That no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is like is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sowed his inheritance right as an older son. See to it that we're godly people. That we're gracious people. We're not nitpicky on every little unimportant thing. Let's focus on what's really, really important. Each other. Focus on loving people, loving each other like we've never loved each other before. Let's be gracious and graceful and learn how to do that. And learn how to be a son or a daughter of God. I love this passage here because Esau gave up his inheritance for a single meal. And I think, you know, go, wow, that's Esau. What a, what a, what a jerk or whatever. And now we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Let's be gracious. Amen? Let's be graceful. Amen? Last but not least, Hebrews 12. In verse 25, he says, See to it that no one refuses him who speak. He has promised. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now, he, uh, but now he has promised. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom... That cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. So, and so, worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Isn't that cool? He wants us that when the shaking is done, He wants us to remain. When the shaking of all shaking is done, we are going to remain standing and thankful and joyful and grateful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that we have your word to guide us and to lead us. When the Bible says that Jesus is in us, it really does mean his word for us here today. Help us to really internalize these words, 
Help us to understand what we're a part of, the unshakable kingdom of God. And help us to honor you, God, by the way that we live, by our response to the cross, by our response to the grace that you've shown us here today. God, help us have a great week. Help us to really put these words into practice. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this time let's stand on up as we close out our last song. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.